Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I am hoping that. I- Hello. Hello. So, what I'm trying to do now, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. And I am trying to work it out, so I hope that you'll be, you'll bear with me. And um, I actually have some, uh, I barely got enough battery, but (laughs) I left my Oh, hey, can you hear me okay? I can't. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> We've been having we're having a little bit of technical difficulty, but I can hear you. You can hear me, and I'm putting a, a call out to make sure that all is is well. Um, as I was getting ready to tell our guests, this month is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we're really happy to have you back with us again, Kalima. Um, before we go into it, I want to do our disclaimer right quick, which is the views and opinions expressed on Can We Talk For Real blog talk radio show. Hosts, co-hosts, guests, and call them listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. The hosts appreciate your opinions and your openness. Can We Talk For Real does not condone disrespect to the show content, co-hosts, and or guests. The host or co-host are not counselors and advise you to seek professional consultation if needed. So as I was saying, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and the goal is to raise public awareness about sexual violence and to educate communities on how to prevent it. Sexual violence is a major public health, human rights, and social justice issue, and we need Mm -hmm. everyone's help to end it. So Kalima... You yes. were with us um, last year, but I'm going to give you the opportunity if you could like reintroduce yourself to our audience and tell us how this became your passion to the point that um, you founded the Sasha Center here in Detroit. Oh, okay, that's a good that's a good opening. <laughs> um, <laughs> hello, good evening, listeners. My name is Kalima Johnson. And uh, as Ms. Brown stated, I am the executive director and founder of Sasha Center. Sasha stands for Sexual Assault Services for Holistic Healing and Awareness. And we're in Detroit, Michigan, and we were founded in 2010. And what we do at Sasha Center is provide culturally specific alternative practices to self-identified survivors of sexual assault. And we concentrate on communities of color, and in particular, we concentrate on the African-American community. One of the reasons why myself and a few other interested survivors of sexual assault decided to pull Sasha Center together was actually come from my earlier work roots where I worked at the Detroit Police Department as a social worker working in their rape counseling center, which is now called the Victim Assistance Program. And I was there for 10 years, started in 1995 as an intern, and then in 2005 I um, left 
and decided kind of engaged in some self-care because I had heard enough really sad stories about rape in Detroit. And at the and it was really ironic because the whole time I was working at the Detroit Police Department Rape Counseling Center, that was the, during the time where none of the rape kits were being processed. Mm. We didn't know that because we were the social workers and we didn't have access to the lab and the rooms, what happened to the kids afterwards. But we would be right there in the rooms with the nurses as they were collecting those very kids. Um, but that wasn't my motivation to start the group, uh, start the organization. My motivation to start the organization was what I had learned from survivors over the years and what I had learned as a survivor myself of sexual assault is that in the black community, we're not talking about it. Uh, in other communities of color, they're not talking about it either. But what really there's some special nuances about black folks that keep them from talking about it and ultimately might stifle their capacity and ability to heal. And a lot of times when you don't talk about something, you're misinformed. And so Sasha Center is about the business of educating the black community about the issues that are related to and the outcomes that are related to sexual assault in our communities. Uh, We spend a lot of time dispelling myths. We spend a lot of time trying to encourage the black community to understand that if they have experienced some level of sexual trauma, that they indeed deserve healing. A lot of people walk around in our community uh, hurt, broken, angry, upset, sad, depressed, on drugs, drinking too much on the pole, just doing a whole lot Uh. of things, not realizing or making that connection to that sexual trauma that they need to integrate. And and I know in my community, I can't speak for everybody's family, but in my family, I was taught to forget it. You know, I like it never happened. Just forget it. It'll go away. Don't tell on Uh nobody. Definitely don't file no police report. Um, because the police have, you know, had, we've had really strange relationships with the police. So um, we don't really trust them. You know, as a girl growing up, my mother had schizophrenia. And I remember, you know, after the 1968 riots, we had the, the big four riding around on the north end of Detroit, uh, four white cops, you know, going around, you know, in poor neighborhoods, you know, with all this power and control. And the last time, when I, one of the times I saw my mother taken away, um, you know, butt naked in a car with uh, four white cops. Yeah. And who knew what happened to her after yeah. that, you know? So it's the kind of memories I have. And then when I was sexually assaulted at 15, I had a police officer inappropriately interview me and say to me, well, where's your daddy? And if you had a daddy, this wouldn't have happened to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is I think that the officers in Detroit, particularly uh, those that are connected to the sex crimes unit and those that are connected to the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office, they're being trained. They're doing much better. Um, we've got almost all the kids tested, um, and, and, and we're moving right along. As a matter of fact, Kim Worthy's office is serving as a model, if you will, for how other cities need to address their untested kids. And one of the things that they're talking mm-hmm. about is in terms of the untested kids is that there are lots of suburban cities that also have kids that have been untested, but they don't talk about that nearly as much as they talk about the major uh, cities. Um, but 81% of the t- kids in Detroit that were not tested were black women. And so Sasha Center, you know, I, I believe in raising money for the kids. I believe in getting every kid processed. I believe in following the kid all the way until they can find a perpetrator and have that perpetrator uh, apprehended. But I also believe that there's a person, and we know that there's a person behind these kids. And so Sasha Center is trying to be that safe space agency where people can work it out. And what's really challenging, Michelle, about our work is that we're not a crisis agency we're not a needs-based agency in terms of talking about those hierarchy of needs. We're not providing food, transportation, housing, clothing, or shelter. We're not providing those things. What we're providing is a safe space for people to really process, integrate, and work through and heal from their sexual traumas through support group services, 
through activities and advancing through education and community involvement. And because that's the because that's our, our, our way of doing it, it's really difficult for us to find and maintain funding. And I'm going to tell you, since last year, a lot of things have changed. You know, I was very thankful for the funding that I got from the Office on Violence Against Women. It's a federal grant, mm-hmm. uh, culturally and linguistically specific services grant, and it helps us get mm-hmm. started, and I was very thankful for that. But I have no intentions on applying for federal dollars, state dollars again, because I believe this is an institution mm-hmm. that black folks should pay for. Well, you know, when you talk about, you know, how how has it changed? Because, I mean, I can recall growing up and, and yeah, first of all, there was that, that you didn't want to talk to the police because there would be that, like, are you sure, you know, you just didn't have a fight with somebody, you know, that, that not trusting the police. or And also, like you said, if the police took you off, would you again be victimized? But still hear some of that happen, you know. It's like oh, yeah. About oh, yeah. So how has, I mean, do you find that particularly African-American women, young women, and for that matter, young men, are they feeling, is there a, more of a, of a willingness to talk about it, or is it still like that family secret? Just don't talk about it. It happened, just don't talk about it. I think it's more of a, it happened and don't talk about it, but it's just and and both. It just really depends on particular families. But once people realize that Sasha Center exists, then they start talking. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. times a lot of black folks don't even know that we as a center exist in the city of Detroit. But not only that, you know, the, your listeners need to also know that there is no other organization like it in the country or the state still. Um, and there are organizations that are talking about and doing sexual assault work, but they're also doing domestic violence work, which is nothing wrong with that. But there is no sexual assault-specific program offering services to self-identified survivors anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. So we're the only ones yeah. right now. And that's, not, and that's mm-hmm. nothing to be proud of. Really what that implies mm-hmm. is that there's a gap and that we need to be doing more. Uh, but because of that, you know, we're in the middle, in, in the midst of developing a model. And so it's very difficult when you're in the middle of creating a model um, to have all the answers that funding sources need, some answers we just don't have. Um, and, and that's because there hasn't been enough research out here about raping black women. There has not been enough, uh, you know, opportunities for us to really uh, sit black women down and have focus groups about what it is that they need, feel like they've been um, healed. Uh, there's not enough discussion around social justice issues and restorative justice. Like, how do we work with the men and women in our communities that are doing the raping? Um, how mm-hmm. do we uh, help them become better citizens? How do we help them pay the cost for what they did? How do we help them, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just so many things that have been not unpacked about rape in our community. And the other piece that hasn't been unpacked about rape in our community is the impact in terms of how we heal and how it's directly related to, you know, our slavery experience. People still aren't talking about that. You know, folks still don't want to talk about slavery and how that impacted us. Um, They still don't want to talk about racism and discrimination and oppression and how that impacts us in terms of what we do and how we do it. And um, it has to be addressed. Well, you know, and and that is so true because, I mean, in, in, in this, like, politically correct world or whatever, you know, when they talk about it, and, you know, like, well, who are black Indeed, people? You know. And you want to say at a certain point, well, you know, we come, I've had white people go like, well, you know, well, you're all different shades and you're so beautiful. And you say, well, sometimes the ways that we got to be all these beautiful shades 
came as a result of rape and the rape that happened in slavery. Now, nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about that or the way that that we were. And do you find then that, you know, it seems like to me it's like you're providing answers, but maybe the funders and them, they they don't have the right questions. Like they have their little template of what they want to fund, but they aren't asking the right questions. Well, yeah, that's true, but I think on a whole that they're trying to do better. Um, I'm just making a conscious decision that I believe that if this is important enough for the black community, then the black community will take care of it. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I'm saying that the black community needs to take care of it is because it's hard for me to explain to somebody that a woman that's in my group or in one of our groups put herself at risk because she went down one street, you know, she was raped by a stranger, she went down one street instead of the other street because she knew that the pig lady lived down the other block and she never wanted to run into the pig lady. I can't explain to other people on the outside looking in that are uninformed and it doesn't matter if they're black or white that that's an urban legend and that urban legends are real in our communities and that she's not schizophrenic or she's not diagnosable. Do you understand? You follow me, Mm -hmm. right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, questions come up like, we had a group session, by, by the way, for those who are listening, every Wednesday night at Sasha Center, there is an open group for survivors of sexual assault. And that is solving the problem and the issue that will always come up, that there are no support groups in Detroit for survivors. That's not true. We have it every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. All we ask is that you call in advance and register. These are for people who self-identify as sexual assault survivors. And um, in particular, we're targeting women 16 and older. But we will also do groups for men, but we just haven't heard from enough of them to start a group. But we will have one for them if they come forward. Um, And I I know I'm saying a whole lot here, Michelle, but, you know, when they came and did an audit for us, which we, we passed with flying colors, because I know what they want. I mean, you know, I know what they were asking for. But then, you know, you have an auditor in the room who might say, you know, well, why did you have a discussion about Thanksgiving on the week before Thanksgiving when your sessions are every Wednesday night? And the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, you could have had this discussion. Might it, might it have been more impactful? And that's a really honest question. It's not a malicious question. But then I say, no, mm-hmm. because in the black community, I don't know what y'all are doing, but we cooking hog moths and chillers, and that takes eight hours. We busy the night before Thanksgiving. We ain't got time to be going in no group. So we had the discussion the week before. So you had a discussion week before, and I'm just curious, educate me. Okay, that's how they say it. Educate me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about Thanksgiving? Well, in our community, some of the women who've been sexually assaulted still got to sit down and look at their perpetrators in the face and break bread with them because he still got to, or she still got a seat at the table. And no one prosecuted, and no one stood up, and no one... Like, they don't go through this in their own family. So I'm tired. I'm tired of explaining it. I'm tired of trying to make excuses. I'm tired of doing the dance. And we're still going to do the work. Um, and we'll have to figure out how to fund it, I mean, as we go. So Sasha Center's work is going to look extremely different uh, this year. We still are going to do our group every Wednesday through December. Uh, we're still going to um, honor all of our MOUs and continue those groups through September because that's all the money we have. We'll run out in September for sure, sure. We already ran out of some significant funding. I had to lay off my administrative assistant, but she has been so mm-hmm. kind and nice as volunteer. And then I also have facilitators who I used to pay every week to facilitate for me who are also volunteering now to make sure that our groups happen. And I'm really excited about that because, you know, who if we don't take care of ourselves, who will? Mm-hmm. You well, know, you know, like so you, I, and I agree. With, you know, this is something that is happening in the black community, and 
you know, we should be supporting it. Who is hearing you? I mean, you know, as you're saying this, and other than the people who really need this, who is hearing you? You know, like, I, I mean, it seems like to me, particularly after all of the notoriety of those rape kits, you know, that's uh, just like, you know, that 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 people should you would think they'd be breaking down the doors when they find out that here's somebody who's working on this, but clearly if they were, you wouldn't be in this this, this situation. So, is it that they still well, don't want to acknowledge it's happening, or what do we have to do to get know, our community to be engaged? I yeah, that's a good question. And you know, we do have the 490 challenge. I don't know if you heard about the 490 challenge, where African American women have poured their all of their money uh, into the Women's Commission. Well, the Women's Commission is going to actually, uh, they, they decided to stand up and do something about collecting the money to process the rape kit, right? And so that's what that money is going to be used for. Um, but And that's fine. That's good. That's a good thing. Um, and African-American women, even myself, wrote a check for $490 to make sure that one kit would get processed. Because we're not just talking about the old kits. We're also talking about new kits that are created every day that have to be covered. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about hiring staff and investigators and all of that kind of stuff and prosecutors. All that money goes towards staffing that and goes towards making sure that the kits are done correctly. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But I'm also trying to get my sisters to realize that this organization, Sasha Center, also needs that kind of financial support as well so that we can continue to provide the services to the person that's behind the kit. Mm-hmm. And your question, yeah. who's hearing me? I mean, I'm just yelling it from the rooftops and telling everybody mm-hmm. and asking other people to tell other people. And I'm also asking black and African-American women who are leaders in this city who are rape survivors to start telling their stories so that they can be examples to women who don't know how to manifest after a trauma like that. You know, but there are women in this city who are so strong and so powerful and so amazing who are survivors of rape, but they still are moving on. They still are doing their thing. They still are expressing their lives in the best way. They're still enjoying their lives in the best way possible, even with those traumas with them. I'm trying to get them to be inspired to tell their stories so that survivors who have not uh, come to realize what how great they are or what all they can do with their lives, you know, to be inspired by them. And so I'm still, you know, reaching out and I'm still massaging that and I'm still have, trying to have a conversation. But, you know, we got that internalized racism thing going on too. And our internalized racism tells us that we're not good enough to have, who are you to think that you should have your own agency just for black people? Mm-hmm. You know, I and think it's not that really, that and to be honest, and let me be clear, it's not mm-hmm. just for black people. White people come, mm-hmm. Asian people come, Native people come, Latino people come. We had a group that was half Spanish-speaking, half English-speaking in southwest Detroit with Latina sisters and black sisters together, and they were talking about healing from rape together. And so it's not just for black women, but we do come from an African-American focus, and there are white women that come to our groups. I mean, there was one season, at one point, there were nothing but white pe- women coming to our groups. And they said, we know mm-hmm. you for black people, Miss Sasha Center. We know you for black people, but we coming to get our healing. And there was a woman that came into the sessions who said, you know, my anniversary of my rape is tomorrow. And I just didn't want to be by myself. And, of course, you find it, it is Is it harder, you know, because 
and there is it, there's still that stigma. Is it harder for African American women to sort of because you know when you say that you've been raped, often people look at you like maybe you're weak or that you're a victim or oh I'm so sorry for. Is it harder with all? Do you think that because of all the other burdens of racism that black women have to carry, is it does that make it harder for them to come forward and tell their stories? particularly like those who may have been successful and they don't want to admit like what we all know is that little dark secret way back in, in the past. And is that difficult more, you know, than for a white woman who can come out and go like, it's almost like cause celebrity. Oh, yes, I was right. You're so strong. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And let me be clear, a lot of times what happens is the once a woman of color says she's been raped, People respond to her totally different than they respond to a woman who is not not of color who says she's been raped. Now, is there, there's some similarities, you know, the whole factor of victim blaming, not believing her, yada yada yada. But it's just this one little extra thing, and that is, black women are supposed to be rapeable. Black women are supposed to be strong. Black women are supposed to be able to handle it. Black women are not supposed to be weak. All these things that you're saying does cause that stress. And then a lot of times, black women, when they've told people that they've been raped. It hasn't been looked upon favorably. And so why would they go to another place, to another situation, into another, you know, another arena where it's an opportunity for people to further blame them for what has happened when we know that the fault really lies on the perpetrators, not on the actual survivor. And so that's another challenging barrier that we face at the center is how do we convince and how do we talk to um, survivors and let them know that this is truly, really a place where they can work it out. And, the, uh, and not only that, you know, we, you're a black woman, I'm a black woman, we know. So we hold black women and women in general accountable for their own healing. Because Sasha Center don't have no magic pill. We don't have no magic wand. All we have is the opportunity for you to really work it out and support the people who are going to believe you and support the people who are going to listen to you and not blame you and not try to find that one thing you did wrong and that's why you got raped kind of thing. We don't do that at the center. You know, but we also know that once you decide you're going to work on healing from your sexual abuse and assault, that you got to do something different. And a lot of times that's difficult for all of us. We want to keep doing the things that we've done in the past, whatever that is, negative or positive. And that's another thing. We need sisters to come and tell us what they've done that has been positive and helpful to their growth and to their learning process because there's no research out there that says, hey, this is how we do it. When you, you know, what do, you know, do I mean, this is like so sad, you know, like you said, that you have it. You have these, first of all, you have people who are volunteering and who are staying there. But I can imagine if you're someone who's out there and maybe you haven't, you know, you, you're ready to, but you're not. And to know if you're listening and you go like, they might not be here next week. But one of the things that I hear from you is that commitment, not only by you, but by the people who are working with you and that we're going to be there. You know, no matter what, yes. we're going to be there. It'll be in a different form and way, but we're going to be there. Oh, absolutely, we are. And um, like I said, I know for sure we're going to have the Wednesday night session through December, uh, and that's that's not even being funded by anybody. Uh, and then I also know that we still have some MOUs that we're going to complete 
those are usually closed groups with other organizations like Covenant House and Pathways Academy, Delta Prep Academy, Salvation Army. We're going to keep those groups going. Um, but then, you know, after even after December, if I have to move all this stuff into the condo that I don't live in anymore and still provide community education and still provide services um, in terms of us having groups, I'm right now contacting all the Detroit Public Libraries to see who has a private space so that we can go into the community and have these groups. Still, it's going to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. We don't have a choice. And plus, we got young baby girls that are coming up right now who are at risk of being sexually assaulted. And when we talk about campus sexual assault, when we talk about all these things, all those things are very real and they happen. And, you know, I would love to be able to do something like right at the end of the summer where we have parents bring their young daughters and sons who are on their way to becoming freshmen in college so that they can get a sexual assault one-on-one education from, from our perspective before they go on campus. Because when I hear campus sexual assault, I rarely see people of color, but we know that they're being impacted. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, so and we don't, also, of, we don't have a lot of visibility, and we need that. Mm-hmm. So, have you? Have, are you working with any now? I mean, are there any universities that are interested in in this program? Um, I, I'm not even thinking about it at the university level. I'm actually thinking mm-hmm. about it at the community level. So I'm saying to mm-hmm. black parents, if you got kids getting ready to go to college, come and talk to us at the Sasha Center so that we can prepare your children to stay safe when they get to campus from our perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm really talking about grassroots stuff before, before they even get on campus. It would be ideal to be able to have a Sasha Center at all the HBCUs. That would be awesome. Um, but that requires work. So you said that the Sasha Center is the only one. Why? You know, and I know that you you travel around, you're around, you're talking to people. You are very passionate and very eloquent about this. Why are the where's the next Sasha Center? Where why aren't you know? Why aren't you hearing about other? You don't have any sister organizations or or why isn't this taking off to to look at the survivors, not just you know testing the rape kits. Like you said, that's like one end, but there's a person behind each one. Exactly. Why are you the only one? I'm sorry about all the background noise, but yeah, you know, the bottom line is is that we need more people to want to be active and help in doing this specific work. This is not easy work. It's not like the stuff that feels good, like feeding the homeless or feels good, like helping a program with children with cancer. We're talking about dealing with um, another kind of metaphoric cancer, if you will, in our communities around gender and around gender-based violence. And we're talking about the stuff that we're doing to each other, the stuff that we uh, allow allow to have, be, you know, that we have being done to us. I mean, not that we allow it, but just it's this apathy, if you will, around you know, this issue. I mean, some people don't even believe it's an issue. You know, I went to an agency uh-huh. and spoke a few weeks ago. We don't even have a working definition of what rape is. And so when you define uh-huh. it and you tell them what it is, you know, you got a 65-year-old woman who's in the room who's been dealing with a, a crack problem for the last 30 years, say, 
hey, I've never told anybody I got raped because I got raped when I was on my way to the liquor store to buy some liquor. So I felt bad about that, so I never said anything. But you being here standing in front of us gives me freedom to say that that happened to me. You know, and then we have a young lady in the room who's in her 30s dealing with a drug problem, and she says, wait a minute, I need you to back up and repeat what you said because my grandmother didn't teach me that. My grandmother did not say that if you, you know, she told me that if you get sexually molested when you're a kid, you're going to grow up and be gay, and I believe that. That's what she told me. And so it's the education of of, of our community that, that, that needs help. We had a young lady in the room who said, I don't care what you say. If you get a man aroused, it's your responsibility to let him finish. And if you don't, then that's mm. your fault. And I said, you know, we're going to talk about some emotional intelligence here. You're upsetting people in the room by what you're saying, sister. But the one piece is two things about what you're saying that hurts my feelings. Is one, you are assuming that men are Neanderthals and animals and that they can't control themselves. And that's not true. We know that that's not true. They're human beings. I said, and two, if you stick to that dialogue, if you stick to that script, then you don't have to admit that indeed you've been raped. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's, I mean, it's that basic. It's that mm-hmm. kind of basic education and support and information that we need as a community before we can even begin to start getting on the journeys for healing. Well, you know, you still hear so, that, you know, that somehow or other the victim asked for it, had it coming. I mean, you know, if they weren't doing this, like you said, the woman who didn't want to say she was going to the liquor store, well, if you hadn't been drinking, or, well, if you hadn't been dressed that way, if you hadn't been out by yourself, we still hear this shaming of the victim, the same ones who will go like, oh, it's so horrible. Those those rape kits haven't been tested, but they're quick to shame someone where it's like no one says, here, I'm giving you license to assault me, you know, to rape me. But you hear that, like, double standard still going on. Exactly. Exactly. And that victim blaming really is about the business of people just, you know, if I find the one thing she did wrong or he did wrong, then I can say that I'm safe. And we know that the truth of the matter is none of us are safe. And it can happen to anybody at any given time. And that rape is really just about power and control. It's not a sexual urge that's out of control. It's about power and control. And people just use sex as the weapon to gain that ultimate power and control over an individual. And it's not this person that's crazy and deranged. Most rapists are very calculating, mature, you know, mature, you know, thinking, intelligent people. But they just want to be able to have the right that kind of power over someone else. And that rape doesn't always happen violently. You know, a lot of times rape can happen through coercion. Rape can happen through a tit for tat. You know, rape can happen in the context of a homeless person needing to couch surf, and the person who they're couch surfing with is using them in that way, and they're not consenting. Rape is simply the act of committing some kind of sexual act against a person who is not consenting. And it can happen in many contexts. And the good news about April being Sexual Assault Awareness Month is that we get to talk about it. We get to say, hey, 
um, this is not right. We get to say place the blame where it belongs. We get to say, Survivor, we see you, and we appreciate you surviving anyway. We appreciate you for uh, telling your story. We appreciate you for connecting with other survivors so that you don't feel isolated and alone. It's all of those things that we're doing for April and Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I am unapologetically saying to the community and saying to anybody who's listening to your show right now, Michelle, and Michelle, I also want to publicly thank you. I know you're really humble, but you have been donating to Sasha Center for as long as (laughs) Sasha Center has been on earth. And I thank you for that because your donation helps us pay our facilitators, helps us pay for transportation for our survivors, helps us pay for the rent for the space that we hold where we have our armed groups, helps pay for the snacks for the survivors, pay for paper, pen, ink, all of that stuff we need, uh, crayons and markers and mm-hmm. all the supplies, you know, copying and printing. And, you know, we need all of that kind of uh, money to stay open. And so I am unapologetically saying, and I will be saying this, until I can't say it anymore, is if we're going to continue to do this work, we have to have our community supported through donations. And if people want to donate, they can go to www.sashacenter.org, and they don't, you don't even realize how important it is for people to donate at this very moment because I am consciously making a decision, and I am, as of this month, paying out of my pocket all of the bills related to Sasha Center, and I'm no longer paying myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you know uh, and, and I think is, that, mm-hmm. that 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 is so important. You know, and not like, and I often tell people like they they don't think about oh, and I go and do this, but sometimes, I mean, you know, it it's you just do it when you see it, you just do it, and we all need to. And you know, and I know people who say, well, I don't have thousands of dollars. You don't have to have thousands of dollars, but if you would, and then you would tell a friend and you would make sure that everybody knew when you did these things, like you said, this is our community, and we should we should do this. I mean, you know, everybody who you see, I always use this, everybody who you see standing in line at Target with a bunch of crap that they don't really need, if they would put some of that back and put some of it, that same money to support the Sasha Center, which is really probably there for a yourself, a sister, a brother, a cousin, a neighbor, somebody mm-hmm. who needs who needs this, who needs to have that place to come out and be there and say it. Absolutely, and, and we also. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, in addition to what you were saying, we also need leadership. Um, I have a very small board that I'm trying to build. I would like to have more board members. Uh, We need a treasurer. We need volunteers. We have an awesome volunteer by the name of Dorothy Wallingford who comes in now that the administrator, she's been laid off since February, but she's still coming in, you know, helping us and volunteering maybe a couple of hours a week just to make sure that, you know, the functions of the uh, organization and the infrastructure is still in place in terms of our policies and our practices and our procedures. Um, But what I was going to say is we need leadership. We need um, women to join and men to join this board. And we're still doing our work with men. Um, This year Mm -hmm. at the Take Back the Night, our eighth annual one, we acknowledged a man for the first time for the Ava Rogers Award, which we've never done before. But this man, Mm -hmm. his name is Omari King Wise, and he actually – has been doing work with us, helping men and boys develop better relationships and ideas and thoughts about women and girls. So um, we acknowledge him. And um, 
You know, I'm just really proud of the work that we're doing. And we also want to become that agency that other agencies look to for technical assistance and support and training around how to work with the African-American women they have at their agencies. Because a lot of times they, they don't mean to, but they fail horribly at communicating with black women and understanding black children and understanding black men and the relationship between the three or the relationships between black lesbians and gays or the relationship between and the, and the extent to which why black transgender women are way more susceptible to these kinds of violences and crimes than anybody else. You know, they don't have that, they don't have that backdrop. And so Sasha mm-hmm. Center has that experience, that backdrop, and we're going to also offer our services to organizations in that way. We're going to bill you, but we're going to offer that service to you. You know, how important, like we have talked to, like we've had men, I, you know, men who have different programs and stuff, and when we bring up to them about, you know, well, have you ever had someone on to talk about sexual assault? And they say, oh, well, men, we're not going to talk about it, even though they will admit that some of the, some of these very same men or some of the people involved in their groups have been sexually assaulted, but they say, well, we're not going to talk about that because, you know, for a, a, a host of reasons, everywhere from like, well, if they're gay, uh, that's what made them gay, or if they're straight, well, they don't want anyone to know because don't let anybody think that maybe they were gay. But how important is it that, you know, for everyone to sort of say that sexual assault isn't about gender? It's like you said, it's that's about right. power. And how important is it that that... Some of these, I mean, I, I'm glad that Omari got there, but how important is it that men sort of step up and not only claim that it has happened to them, you know, and that they are survivors, but also take some re- responsibility, and like you were talking about, working with their brothers and all that, about what what this means. Yeah. And, you know, uh, being a social worker, I, I must say that I would never, ever, put any man, female, anybody, but particularly a man in a position to disclose something that um, he's not ready to disclose. But I also believe that we need to create environments where they feel safe enough to disclose. And on Monday, I hosted the Take Back the Night at Wayne State University, and one of the partners in the organization or a part of the group was First Step. We partner with them all the time. They actually had and brought a male survivor who I don't know what his orientation was, but whatever his orientation was, he told his story of being sexually assaulted, and he did an excellent, excellent job. And then as a result of that, when they had their open mic, another man got up and said, I've never shared this publicly, but because I just saw this man share publicly, I feel strong enough to share too. And he had been sexually assaulted by a pastor. And the Mm -hmm. man that originally told his story had been sexually assaulted by family members, a male cousin. And I don't know what their orientations were. I can't even begin to guess what their orientations were. And it really doesn't even matter what their orientations were. The bottom line was that they were actively walking in their power and not allowing that secret to eat them from the inside out and sharing it with a group of people who understood, believed, and respected and honored them that made the experience so cathartic and powerful for everybody else in the room. And so to those brothers, I would say, you know, Ashe, and thank you so much for sharing, and men need to continue to find ways, and we need to continue to find ways to make it safe, but we all can work together at the same table. For a long time, this work has been always earmarked as women's work, but the bottom line is that it's women's and men's work because we cannot stop sexual assault without men who have conversations with men who are committing sexual assault. That I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I, 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 I was thinking back, like how you were talking about that, that Thanksgiving, I mean, and, and how difficult that has to be. I imagine particularly around the holidays, how do you, you know, I mean, well, we know this is what happens. If often you have to sit across the table and you have to do that. And to be able to explain that to a funder, you know, we need to be having these conversations within the family. And sometimes, like you said, people know who's the perpetrator. They know that, oh, so-and-so, you know, they've been known. It's rumored that someone else, it had happened to them. And here this person is again invited to the table. But there also has to be a healing within the family. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In order for us to get to a healing, there has to be some accountability. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a term, like an acronym that I came up with myself. It's called ARA. It's Accountability, Remorse, and Action. And until that happens within our families and until that happens within the perpetrators of the families, it's going to be a continuous or it runs the risk of being a continuous vicious cycle from generation to generation to generation. And it's almost like in some families a rite of passage. Well, I had to do it, so, so now it's your turn. You know, and we got mm-hmm. to really be acknowledging that. And then we also have to know and believe that, yeah, the family structure or whatever semblance of a family structure we thought we had will definitely disintegrate and fall apart once it comes out that somebody in the family has been sexually molesting someone or sexually assaulting someone and that there's somebody in the family that's been sexually assaulted. Um, but the good news is is that all of that is repairable when we get ready to unpack it. And it's repairable through work. It's repairable through conversations, discussion, and time. It's repairable when you see somebody taking accountability. It's repairable when you see somebody showing true remorse. It's, a, it's repairable when you see somebody taking action towards improving and healing their lives. You know, you're not going to ever, you know, see or feel any sense of justice if you have a sexual assault survivor that's still out here uh, being exploited by others you know, at, at, at like these girly bars or, you know, you got men that still are being silent. You have women and children who still feel like they can't say anything. Um, you got people still fearing uh, being blamed. Uh, all of this stuff has to be has to be really dealt with, you know. And uh, yesterday I was with a group of uh, women, and um, I had some scenarios up. We were talking about diversity. And what really surprised me about this generation is that none of the old school stuff that I was talking about really impacted them. They were like, "No, nah. mm. you know, my gay friend, my gay friend can ask me to go to a gay bar, and I know I'm straight. It wouldn't bother me at all." And I wish, you know, and I hope that the youth and that the people that are coming after us see the need and understand that there is still a lack of healing in our community around these issues, and it's not just about the LGBT. Uh, community, but it's also about us as Africans, us as descendants of Africans, us as enslaved people, and how that has impacted us. And nobody really wants to talk about it, you know, and people are uncomfortable with it. And how do you get comfortable? You get comfortable by, by, by being honest and being in the truth and walking in the truth, which is this topic is hurtful. This topic hurts my feelings. This topic makes me feel like small. This topic makes me feel like there's nothing I can do. But actually, there is a lot you can do. You can be present. You can educate. You can spread the word. You can commit to not committing these acts. 
You can make sure that if it happens that you create safe spaces for people to tell you the truth and you believe them. You know, we can, you know, lower the cases of people who, you know, are not telling the truth about sexual assault because of exploitation and things like that. All of that stuff happens. Um, but what people think because of the media is that there are more cases of rape that are out there that are not true. That's not true. Two to eight percent mm-hmm. out of all the studies that have ever been done about that, two to eight percent are uh, those that may not be true. We're talking about 92 to 98 percent of the cases that are real, and then we're talking about only 50 percent of the people in the United States actually report. Okay, now we have a caller, and your number for Eric was 347. The last one is 4954. Did you have a comment? Maybe not. If you do, just let me know. We had a guest um, last year, and when you were talking about it, and it had been like the mother, her daughter, and the mother had been silent. Didn't you know her daughter had been silent? And it wasn't until it came up that the granddaughter mentioned that this relative had punched him inappropriately to when. It all came up. So this can, like, really be a generational, I mean, think of it, you know, and they're like, each one had a certain level of damage in their life, and it was generational. So here they had gone on to, to that third generation. But when it came back to, like, with the grandmother, what she had said was, well, it was like everybody knew something was wrong. Right. But you just didn't say anything. And she just right. hoped that it wasn't happening to her daughter, but she didn't want to ask the daughter, but she just hoped that it wouldn't. And it wasn't until when they the grandchild that she recognized that that hoping wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hope is, hope is never enough when it comes to the safety <laughs> of our uh, families and our children. We have to ask. And one of the things that's so unfortunate in the black community particularly, and I keep going back to us, is that it starts very early when we don't teach our children the proper names of their body parts. It starts very early when we don't explain to our children when their menses is coming and what that means and what childbearing is and and how to have babies and all of those things we just have been taught that we should not ever talk about. And, you know, also the sexual exploitation of us through through slavery um, has made us all kind of, you know, stagnant in terms of talking about sexuality, talking about safety, talking about making sure that people are um, aware, you know, is almost offensive. I mean, sometimes when I'm in front of certain people, they the red flag for me that goes up is when I tell you I'm talking about sexual assault and you start talking about domestic violence or you start talking about stalking or you start talking about all this other stuff, that's a red flag for me. Because I know you heard the words that came out of my mouth, and I was saying sexual assault. And it's almost as if people want to believe that it doesn't belong to us as a community of people, but it does. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you were with, when you were working, and then you heard about all these rape kits, and I imagine now that if you see someone, that might even be part of their question, like, well, all those rape kits didn't didn't get tested, so why should I do this? Why should I come forward? Why should I do this? Right. Well, what's your response uh, to that? Well, 
they don't have to. They really, you know, as a social worker, my position has always been survivors get to choose whether or not they want to prosecute or not. And because of the atrocity of not testing those kids, you can't blame them for not wanting to do it. So the position that I take, Michelle, is not you must do it now that we're processing them. Uh, The position I take that is if you want to, you can, and there's resources available to you uh, to do that. We have a partnership with Wayne County Safe. Wayne County Safe is actually the main organization that provides counseling services to those whose kids have not been processed. Um, and 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 they're trying. They're not with the police department. They're not in the police department. Um, and they can uh, help uh, survivors deal with that. Um, some people, some survivors want, you know, to be vindicated, or they want uh, to see the perpetrator serve time, or they want, you know. But a lot of times, it's a case of if we don't get the witnesses, then we can't prosecute the case. And if we can't prosecute the case, then the rapist walks free, you know. And so, and so, if you want to try to, you know get rapists incarcerated, you know, the idea is to talk talk about it, to testify, to tell it. But it's not an easy thing to do. Um, it's dredging up all those old feelings. You know, we're talking about 20 years ago. Somebody was raped when they was 19 and now they're 49. You know, they're like, I'm mm-hmm. done. You know, I, I've already processed all of that and I, I'm far away from it and now you want to bring it back up. So it's really still in their hands and in their choices if they want to do it. Did you get another call? Um, hold on a minute. No, I'm, I'm, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, actually it was someone we knew who's from, from the area, but she said, you know, she didn't really have a question. She just want, she had, she didn't, she just wanted to let, you know, she didn't have a question. So, 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 so the bottom line is, um, and I really like to defer to uh, Wayne County Safe when they're talking about the kids and stuff. I try to kind of stay on my side of the street. And my side of the street mm-hmm. is really community education. My side of the street is support groups for self-identified survivors. My side of the street is offering culturally specific and relevant and competent services to the African-American community. That's where I am. It doesn't matter if you were raped 30 years ago, three days ago. It doesn't matter if you were sexually assaulted in the context of your family or stranger. If you identify as someone who did not consent to sex and it happened to you, then we are here to work with you uh, in any way that we can that's healthy and that's supportive of your process to go your, for your goal of healing. Now, healing is a journey. It's not a destination. Um, and we also know that people ebb and flow. You know, sometimes you're doing better and then sometimes you're not doing better. But the bottom line is that we just want people to know that we're here for them whenever they're ready and in however way they want you know, to express themselves, that we will hold that safe space for them to be able to process that. And, I mean, and, and I'm saying that, and that sounds all flowery and stuff, but we're very deliberate. You know, we pour libations at our organization. We mm-hmm. smudge at our organization. We do crystal work at our organization. Right now we have a series where anybody can drop in of comedic yoga for survivors of sexual assault. Um, this is our second night doing it second week doing it, and we have two more sessions of that before we go into our next set of healing practices. We um, believe in walking, eating right, and healthy healthy um, options for dealing with stress and trauma, and the body carries memory, and we believe in massage therapy and all of these other kind of alternative practices. But we also believe in best practices, journaling, you know, sitting down and talking to other people, having a connection with other people who have been through it. You know, we we do all of that as well. 
Um, and, and more importantly, uh, we can't continue to do that without the support of the community and, and allies, too. We need allies to help us, um, and we have a lot of allies that have been helping us. Wayne County Safe is one of them. First Step is another one. Um, you know, we have women in the community who don't identify, who definitely uh, people who have never had sexual assault happen to them but feel like it's important because somebody that they love has been sexually assaulted. And then you don't even have to come to Sasha by yourself. We have all our paperwork and everything and our infrastructure set up where you can come and bring a friend, whether she's been sexually assaulted or not, and she can go through the group with you. Now, you know, this this was the eighth year that you've done Take Back the Night. How has that mm -hmm. evolved to being where Sasha is now, and how has it evolved over the eight years? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, Actually, we've turned full circle, like what Sasha Center needs to do. Um, We started in the community with a nonprofit organization, Serenity Services, on the east side of Detroit, and we had our first annual Take Back the Night at Samaritan Center. And this Take Back the Night is special because it's called Take Back the Night Detroit. Uh, We Mm -hmm. own the website domain. But Take Back the Nights have been going on for many years, stemming all the way back to 1976, 1977 uh, in Belgium, and some people say even earlier than that. And Take Back the Nights happen all across the country, everywhere. And there's this huge Take Back the Night um, organization, major organization, that kind of help us out at our level. But what makes our Take Back the Night Detroit different and special is that it was pulled together by a group of women of color and trans women uh, pulled this one together in, uh, in back in 2000, and I think it was eight or nine. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and the bottom line is we actually um, were deliberate about, well, we've been to a whole bunch of Take Back the Nights. We know what they look like. How would it be different if women of color were in charge of it? And so we have signature things that we do in the space, like a healing tent. We're healing alternative practices in the tent. We also have a wall of hope uh, exercise where people create art in live time. We also have organizations that come and have their tables to tell people about their services. Um, We also have an award um, for artists in the community. We have an award for activists in the community. We also have a DJ. We have a march. We have food. You know, we have all these different kind of elements that make it a little different. Hula hooping, all kinds of stuff. It's like a big party (laughs) recognizing survivors. Mm -hmm. But how we've seen it evolve over the years is that for a good portion of the time, Mary Grove College housed it, and thank God for them. They were a true blessing to help it sustain itself um, because that first year was through community donations and partnerships and people just giving and trying to Mary Grove taking on the major cost of the space and the food and the equipment and everything else we needed. Um, but this year we decided to bring it back into the community uh, for a whole plethora of reasons. Mary Grove College was still very supportive. Uh, they came to the event. They advertised the event. They let us make our copies of our evaluations. So we still see them as a very vital partner. Uh, we just decided to bring it back into the community, and we partnered with um, Salvation Army. While they wasn't a sponsor, they definitely gave us the space uh, free of charge, and we really appreciate that mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that uh, when the first year that I went and you had the tent, I mean, that was just, there was just like you said, there was something like, there were two like just different atmospheres, but when you went in that tent, there was something that was very like peaceful, very healing, 
like I said, there was the information, there was music, there was food, but there was like these two different, different, there was a lot going on, but where all of you felt ministered, for lack of a better word, too, while you were there. Yes. And, and, and one, of the, one of the major things about the event that I think is the crust of the event is when we have our guest speakers and our survivor guest speakers. Um, our guest speaker this year was phenomenal in so many ways because she's been participating, you know, in our Sasha groups uh, for many months, and she brought her entire sister circle out to support her. And it was just a beautiful mm-hmm. um, display of watching black women support each other and black women love each other and black women uh, hold each other up. You know, and a lot of times we don't have a lot of opportunities and we need to search for more opportunities for black women to publicly show other people that we love and support one another. It was very mm-hmm. powerful to see. Okay. Now, okay. now I want to know about some of your programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about the HIP program, HIP yes. series? The HIP HIP on series stay, on mm-hmm. Wednesday stands for Healing is Possible, and it starts at 6 p.m., and it's a two-hour session where we cover a plethora of topics because it's open, it's an open group, a plethora of mm-hmm. topics related to sexual assault in our community. We do and we talk about and we process uh, sessions about healing and your skin tone and complexion. We talk about hair. We talk about racism. We even had a session where we asked if a lottery winner, which was a true story, who was a rapist, should he be allowed to keep his lottery earnings? I mean, we have talked about everything from smudging to candle making. Uh, Right now we have a comedic yoga series uh, for three weeks. But every Wednesday, Sasha Center will provide the community an opportunity to process or support or be a part of a conversation related to healing the black community as it relates to sexual assault. We usually have two facilitators in the room who have been trained in sexual assault. Um, who know how to treat survivors of sexual assault, um, who are either master-level social workers or survivors themselves, who have been trained by the Michigan Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, trained by Sasha Center, and also trained by the Wayne County Sexual Assault Forensic Examiners Program. So they're pretty competent. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, um, at the HIP series, um, will allow uh, for survivors to just be creative in the space And one of the ways that we have been able to be so revolutionary in having an open session is that we teach empathy skills and we teach survivors ways to support one another because everybody's sexual assault story is different. You don't have to disclose. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to share that you've been a survivor unless you feel safe and comfortable in doing so. Uh, The groups are confidential. We ask people to sign a confidentiality agreement. We also um, have an opening and closing uh, and we also um, just make sure that people understand and know that we're going to be here uh, doing that definitely through December of this year. And um, like mm-hmm. I said, right now we're looking for um, more opportunities for competent um, facilitators to come and help us with those sessions because right now we can't fund it. So the people who are facilitating those groups for us are doing it on a volunteer basis. Um but it's yeah. a fun series. That was one of the it's things. A fun series. Yeah, that was one of the things that I got out of it. I mean, because I've read about it, and I hear I've heard you talk about it before, and hear you talk about it now. It's sort of like it's not like okay, you're providing like this one size 
it all, 12-step program to talk about your sexual assault. It's like you're coming in, you're doing fun ways where you're building sisterhood. Sometimes you're building trust. They don't have to say, okay, and I, you know, and tell their story until they're ready and in a way that they'll yep. feel comfortable in. in. And that's, that's a big right. part of making healing possible. That's right. That's right. And so that's our tagline at the organization, Healing is Possible. That's one of our groups. Um, we also have uh, groups in urban gardens. Those are our sore groups, um, and we call it, it stands for sexual um, sexual assault women. Oh my God, I'm seeing, I'm getting real tired. Uh, sore is uh, survivors <laughs> overcoming survivors overcoming assault and rape, um, and basically those groups are closed, um, and we cover many topics like exploring your spirituality. Uh, we cover many topics in terms of our next closed group at Sasha Center. Hopefully that will happen in May or June is um, deservability. You know, how do you recognize and come to the terms of knowing that you deserve to heal? And what does that look like for you? Um, and we also have um, hula hoop groups. We have uh, groups for women who have been sexually assaulted in the military that are also African-American we have, um, I think that's about it. I mean, there are four major groups. People can go to the website and take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, don't know how long, I don't know how long your show runs, but I really, I got to go. Um, okay, I well, I just, I just got a, a couple quick, a quick couple of quick. Okay, if someone, you know, they've got the ways up. If someone says, I want to help, if they want to make sure that that Wednesday night goes and they said, give me an amount. You know, like, what would you say if you make, if you want to to say that, gee, I made a Wednesday night happen, what kind of a donation would that look like? You know, because sometimes that's, you've got to give people a, a goal, you know, give this money oh, for absolutely. this. Absolutely. Uh, to run a, a hip series, um, including if we need to provide transportation for survivors, snacks, pay the facilitators, pay for the space and all of that, uh, uh, um, it costs somewhere in between, I would say, if you wanted a goal and you wanted to take care of one night of a hip series, you would want to give anywhere between $150 and $250. Okay. And then, you know, really, folks, that is doable. You know, break it into two parts, but do a hip night. Let's keep this going beyond December. Okay. And, the, okay, you do the annual bike tour because I want to give people ways to, that they can support you. Are you still going to have the bike tour this year, to 2016? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not. Um, unfortunately, okay. we realized that um, it took way more human power to make it happen, and um, we were only able to raise enough to offset the cost that it takes to buy all the supplies for it. Um, and we mm-hmm. also used to have the Poets and Purses party. We're not going to do that either. What we're really no. trying to do is partner, partner with people like, it would be ideal, and this is just one of my ideas, and I'm going to call Jay very soon, that maybe Slow Roll would help and partner with Sasha Center and let us all come out in our teal and, and ask and wear our Sasha shirts and bike with him, bike with their people, so we could educate people on the ride about sexual assault and then ask people to donate at the end of the night. I don't know if he does something like that, but that might be more helpful to us because we really don't have the human resource um, to pull those things off like we used to. Um, and then, like, it's really sad, but we don't really have to have a Poets and Purses party. We can just have a party and have a bunch of poets come and perform 
and people be willing to donate and um, just give for the cause um, because the whole logistics of collecting purses and the logistics of who's going to hold those purses and who's going to administer it has become a bit of a challenge for us. So we definitely mm-hmm. want to have some fundraisers, um, and I'm going to be trying to reactivate the board. Oh, the board is active, but there there have been some people who are timed out, and so now we're trying to rebuild our board at the same time. Um, and then we're also wanting to partner with restaurants and uh, yoga studios, you know, on a particular night, sponsor fashion center and say, hey, a portion of mm-hmm. our proceeds tonight or a portion of our money tonight is going to go help Sasha Center. And then right now we're waiting to hear back from uh, the government to find out if we're going to be a CFC organization. A lot of people didn't know that actually Sasha Center, you could actually go and select Sasha Center as your agency that you give to out of your check on your job and all that in the federal hmm. government. So, so we're waiting. Okay, so um, if you're in the first, yeah, as soon as we well, start out, we'll let you know. But we're waiting to hear from them now. Okay, because we'll do that. And, you know, and we have had different authors and poets on the show, and they're like, oh, I'd love to go to this city or that city. And, you know, so all of those people who have listened to Can We Talk For Real and have talked about wanting to do some of that, you know, we already have some who are talking about coming to Detroit to support the artist in. Maybe we can make a weekend out of it. But, you know, there's ways. And, you know, first of all, I want to thank you for the work that you do. I mean, oh, and, you that you're hanging, and that you're hanging in there. And you are so committed. I mean, and that's what I mean. It's like, you know, this is, you're going to do this. And, you know, yeah. and, I'm you know, and I will continue to support you whenever, every time I think about it, I'm going to support you. But I encourage other people to do, think about that $150 to $200, you know, I sound like National Public Radio, but $150 to $200 level to support a Wednesday night for Sasha Center, you know, but give something. This is important work. Next year, I'm going to want you back, and you're going to have good news for us. And anything that we can do to support and help the Sasha Center, please just call. You know, well, you know how to find me, but we're only only a phone call, a, a text. And we've got your back, and we're going to do all we can to support and help you. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And just those who are listening who are survivors, just always remember it is not your fault and that you deserve healing and wholeness and happiness in your life, and you're important, and you matter, and your story matters. And so hearing this conversation tonight may have you feel in a certain kind of way. Michelle and I both encourage you to talk to somebody, reach out, get help, do something that you enjoy tonight. Make yourself some soup or listen to a good um, music that you like or put on your favorite comedy show or take a long hot bath or light a candle and meditate or pray. Do something because we realize that this conversation is not an easy one to have, but we also know that you already have what you need so that you can get through the night. And don't do it by yourself if you, if you don't need to, but just know that you're important and you're special to us and we love you. Yeah. Well, with that, I want you to go get some rest. Thank you. Uh, go get some rest. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us again and for, for the work that you do and to everyone at the Sasha Center. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you to all my facilitators, supporters, and survivors. We appreciate it. And remember, folks, healing is possible. So, again, thank folks, you, if, you're, if you're looking 
the night. If you if you want to know more about it, you can go to www.sasha s a s h a center one word dot org, and right on that first page in the middle, there's a button that says donation. Hit it. Hit it often. Hit it regularly. And yes, it be is. there, really, and be there for each other. So, well, um, as I was telling folks, uh, Terry isn't with us tonight. Our thoughts are with her and her mother. Her mother is not feeling well, so our thoughts are with Terry oh. and her mother. Yeah. Um, next week, well, you know, we've all been talking about, or we're all hearing about what has happened in North Carolina with uh, HB2. Um, it is being mirrored in a similar law in Mississippi, in Michigan. They're trying to come up with it. Next week, we hope to have some people who are on the ground in North Carolina, um, some people from Charlotte, who part of this bill is to turn around and to stop human rights ordinances. Uh, minimum. There's a, a component about minimum wages. So we're going to be talking about North Carolina, Mississippi, and how that's affecting other states. So I hope that you will join us next week. Watch our webpage. Because if you're a federal government employee, the moment we know that you can designate those funds to Sasha, you will see it on our webpage. Um, thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to close a little early, but that's okay. We can all take time to be good to each other, to be good to ourselves, and remember that healing is possible. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>